0: Amen. I've got uh, several text scriptures that we're going to use tonight. I, uh, I think you'll be familiar with most all of them. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Every child of God has a right to be led by the Holy Ghost. I believe every one of us have a responsibility to be led by the Holy Ghost. Verse 16 tells us how he's going to do that, how he's going to lead us. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Now, in um, John chapter 16, when uh, Jesus is spending the, the Last Supper with his disciples, the Passover, he talks about the Holy Ghost and the work of the Holy Ghost. And one thing that he said among several things, John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Now, I want you to notice two things that he mentions there. One is that he'll guide us into all truth. The word truth there is the word reality. He will guide us into all reality. We know that Jesus said in uh, John chapter 17 when he prayed after the Lord, uh, uh, after the, the last supper with the disciple. One of the things that he prayed for, John 17, 17, he said, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Well, if the Holy Ghost is going to lead us and guide us into all truth, and the Word of God is truth, then he's going to lead us and guide us in the Word, first and foremost. But then also it says he'll show you things to come. He'll show you things to come. Now, if he's going to guide us into the truth, and the truth is the Word of God, and we would certainly expect him to be the teacher, as Jesus said, he'll teach you all things and bring things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto thee we would expect him to teach us into the word. But the word gives us direction. So if he's going to be teaching us in the word. He's going to be showing us what God's will and plan and purpose is for our lives. It's up to us to walk in it. It's up to us to to yield to the leading of the Holy Ghost. Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. That Hebrew word delighteth means to bend. So really is better to to read it like this the steps of a good man are order of the lord who bends to the will of god who yields his will to god's will now if, if the holy ghost is going to do these things and again realize that jesus is saying that the holy ghost will reveal to us god's not trying to stay hidden if god's hidden from us it's not his fault there must be something that we can do differently or should be doing differently to find the direction of God in any situation and in every situation. I've been uh, thinking a lot about here over the last couple of weeks. There are a couple of stories that, uh, that people have told me and, and the people that told me were uh, have been with our church for a long time and I don't know why I didn't know these things before. But there have been a couple of uh, things that uh, uh, people have told me about how they came to the church and how God led them here and things like that. And it got me to thinking about some other things that I remember hearing about in times past. And I've been thinking about and meditating on the organizational skills of the Holy Ghost. The way he orders things. The way he arranges things. Look with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 tells us about the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We'll start in verse 1. It said, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Remember, Jesus had said to them, wait in Jerusalem, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So they're doing that. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them clothing tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Nobody was left out. Some people complain about or wonder about whether or not it's God's will for everybody to be filled with the Spirit. I know a lot of people in, uh, in my experience have said that it's not God's will for everybody to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people um, are filled with the Spirit and speak with tongues. Other people are filled with the Spirit but don't speak with tongues. There's a thousand and one different variations of what people believe. But the Bible, in every case where the Bible tells us somebody was filled with the Holy Spirit... Talking about this supernatural experience of receiving the Holy Ghost. Every time the Bible refers to it, they all spoke in tongues. So they all were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them, the 120 disciples, heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and uh, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Pamphylia in Egypt, and the parts of Libya around Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, I want you to notice it says twice there, we hear. It doesn't say they're speaking our language. It says we hear them in our own language. Now, that doesn't mean that they weren't speaking these languages, but you would certainly understand, and this is what bewilders them, all these people from these different lands and countries. They know these Galileans don't have the kind of education to have picked up all these different languages. So it's possible, certainly, that the Holy Ghost is impressing upon people to speak in other tongues, unknown tongues to the speaker, but not unknown to the hearers. But it's also possible, and I I have to tell you, I kind of lean in this direction. It's also possible that when they spoke with other tongues, God did a miracle in the hearer's ears and heard them speaking in their own languages. Now, we know what they were speaking. The crowd identifies what they're speaking. We hear them speak the wonderful works of God. We hear them speak the wonderful works of God. Folks, this was one of the most supernatural things that could possibly have happened. And notice how it's orchestrated. Now, the day of Pentecost is... is uh, Uh, recognized primarily by the church as being the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. But it corresponds to the Hebrew ritual or feast. And the the Feast of Pentecost literally was the Feast of Harvest. Now, I think it's kind of neat how that God identified the outpouring of the Holy Ghost with the Feast of Harvest. He could have had the Holy Ghost given any time that he wanted to, But the Holy Ghost orchestrated this thing. Remember Jesus said that he would build his church upon the knowledge that he is the Son of God. And certainly the Messiah. Well part of the way he's building the church is using the organizational skills of the Holy Ghost. He's ordering people's steps. He's directing people in the places that he wants them to be. He's identifying his will, His plan, and His purpose just in the arrangement of things. Now, folks, if we look at the world around us and the intricate details that God built into this creation, there are millions of things that have to be a certain way and have to work a certain way in order for the planet Earth to sustain life. And some of those things are so I don't know how to say it. I don't know what word to use. Some of those things are so detailed that it's impossible for this place to uh, sustain life, produce and sustain life, except God was behind it. Now, I know not everybody will agree with that. I know that not everybody will accept the premise behind that. And I know a lot of people think, even some people that that believe that God is the creator of the world, that think that he did it through evolution over millions of years and all that other, other kind of stuff. And I'm not here to pick a fight with anybody's idea about creation. I, I really don't care. If somebody wants to believe in evolution, that's all right with me. Doesn't matter to me. As long as you get evolved enough to get over to where Jesus died for our sins, that's really all that counts. But the more science uncovers the mysteries of this world that was created for our benefit, the more intricate everything is and the way that everything has to weave together and and one thing depends on another thing and If one thing doesn't work, then 50,000 other things can't work. And and it's, it's a marvel. This creation that we live in is an absolute miracle. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, said that people can see the creation or in the creation, people can see the very inner workings of God. Everything of heaven is revealed by looking at the way the world is. We live in a marvelous place that was created by a marvelous God that is uh, is upheld by the power of a marvelous word of God. I want you to see some other things. Look with me over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 tells about Philip going down to Samaria and preaching Christ unto the Samarians. And they believed... And word got back to the apostles in Jerusalem. And Peter and John came down and got them all filled with the Holy Ghost. But let's pick up in verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spoke, spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, there was a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for the worship. Folks, this is some kind of important person. Anybody that's in charge of the, uh, a kingdom's treasury has to be important. And you would expect that that person that's in charge of the kingdom's treasury would certainly have the ear of the king or the queen. God knows where everybody is. Now, I imagine this in cowboy movie terms cowboy movies and western movies we uh, of times past nobody already makes them anymore but the old cowboy movies always had a stagecoach and that stagecoach was going from uh, through wilderness from one station or one town to the next station or the next town and the equivalent of this story is philip showing up out in the middle of nowhere between stations and between towns because that's where he could find this Ethiopian prince, this man of high esteem, this man of high regard, this very, very important man who's come to Jerusalem to worship. And he arose and went, behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Now, folks, I want you to realize what's going on here. Philip just left a world, uh, a citywide, not worldwide, but he left a citywide revival. Once the apostles, Peter and John, come down and start getting people filled with the Holy Ghost, Peter, uh, uh, Philip, the evangelist, his work is done. He preached what was necessary and did what was necessary through the power of the Holy Ghost, to bring the city to the knowledge of Jesus. And now he's ready to go do something else, and the Holy Ghost uses it. And he sends him out into the middle of nowhere. Now, I, here's Philip going to where God told him to go, walking out into the wilderness, walking out into nothing. No population, no city, no town, no village. He's headed for nowhere. Don't you know there had to be times where he was thinking, what am I doing? I'm of the opinion that the devil would bother him, bother the people in the Bible, just like he tries to bother us. I don't know why he would cut them some slack and not us. And so the things that you and I might be tempted to think, I'm sure Philip was tempted to think them too. But then he comes upon this guy in the the chariot. And he hears him reading the book of the, uh, book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said unto Philip, go near and join yourself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? You know what you're, what you're reading to yourself about here? And the man said, how can I except some man should guide me? Now the Holy Ghost will guide you into all truth. And so the Holy Ghost recognized that this guy needed some guidance into the truth of what Isaiah was prophesying. So he said, how can I understand except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb dumb before the shearer. So opened he not his mouth. Now, folks, you know, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, the book of Isaiah is one of the longest books there is. And he just happened to be at the place that was talking about Jesus. And there's not a whole lot of the book of Isaiah that would be or would qualify for that particular type of thing. Isaiah prophesies about a lot of things. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, covers a lot of historical accounts. And he just happens to be at the place that's talking about Jesus. Anybody believe that was a coincidence? The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And he delights in his way. I believe this Ethiopian eunuch qualifies as a good man, and I know Philip does. Verse 33, in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So he must have told him about being saved and being baptized. He's probably gotten him saved before they come up on the water, and then they just happened to pass some water, and he said, Well, look, you talked about water baptism, let's do this. Let's use this for that purpose. And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may meaning he may be baptized in water. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch to be baptized, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was founded as Zodas, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, folks, Philip is one of the ones that Paul and his company, including Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, this same Philip was the evangelist in chapter 21 that had the seven daughters that prophesied that Paul came to his house on his way to Jerusalem and going, after that he was going to go see Rome. That was where uh, Barnab- um oh, what's the name of the, the prophet that came down? Anybody know? Agabus. Thank you. Agabus the prophet came down and remember he prophesied to to Paul and everybody that was there about him being taken captive. And Paul convinces them, yeah, I know this is going to happen. This is what God has for me to do. He convinced them when they were unable to convince him not to go. Luke had every opportunity to interview Philip personally about these things. Now, he writes it like it's ho-hum. He writes it like, well, yeah, sure, Philip was translated. He disappeared and appeared in another place. Can somebody tell me what that's like? I have never been translated. Or the only way that I've ever been translated is the same for you, where the Bible says we've been translated out of death into life, talking about the new birth experience. This is such a miraculous thing, that's just kind of passed over or casually identified as, oh yeah, and Philip disappeared, and then he reappeared over in Azotus, and then he just went about preaching Jesus in all the cities around about till he got to Caesarea. Philip left a citywide revival to go minister to one man in the middle of the wilderness. And then he was translated after his baptism. What do you think the eunuch thought? May I suggest that the Bible portrays a miracle-working God in a lot different way than the modern-day church seems to, or much of it anyway? Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. It tells about Paul's conversion experience, how he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. It tells us about the light and the, the voice of Jesus that came from above. It tells us that Saul was blinded by the glory of the light, not through sickness or disease, but the light that was shining on him or did shine on him that was brighter than the noonday sun. That's why he couldn't see, according to the scripture. He was blinded by the glory of that light. Let's pick up in verse 10. Paul now has gone into the city of Damascus. He can't see. And for three days, he can't see. Verse 10, it says And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, I'm here, Lord. Now I want you to notice the word that is used to describe Ananias is not preacher, is not pastor, is not apostle, is not prophet. It's disciple. It's just a simple follower of Jesus. And another part of this that's remarkable is how commonplace Ananias treats this vision, this supernatural occurrence. So the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And is seen in a vision a man named Ananias uh, coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. There's some interesting ways that this is referred to. God doesn't say he's seen you come in. It says he's seen a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him that he might receive his sight. Now does that mean God's got another Ananias in reserve if this one doesn't do what he wants him to do? It's possible. But the way that Ananias responds to the Lord, just in a matter-of-fact way, it's as if visions are not that uh, uncommon. It's It's as if Jesus speaking to people in visions or while they pray, is not something to be amazed at. But folks, I would submit to you, if that happened to people today in the modern day church world, it would be noised abroad as one of the most remarkable things, unusual things, rare things, never occurring type things that anybody could imagine. This is the kind of stuff that's supposed to happen all the time. Now, I want you to realize that Ananias is willing to bend his will. After the Lord appears to him and tells him some things and reveals to him things by the word of knowledge that he could not otherwise know. He couldn't know where Paul was. His name hadn't been changed yet from Saul to Paul, but you know what I mean. He had no way to know where he was. He had no way to know that he's blind. He has no way to know that Paul has met Jesus on the way to Damascus. He certainly doesn't have any way to know that Paul, wherever he is, is praying, and he certainly doesn't have any way to know, except by divine revelation, that while he's praying, he has a vision and sees a man named Ananias. Look at how the Holy Ghost is coordinating all these visions. Paul had a vision, seeing a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him to receive his sight. Ananias has a vision. Apparently, Paul's vision was first because he's, the Lord is telling Ananias that that's already happened. So then Ananias has a vision and gains some direction of God from God. Ananias answered, verse 13, and said, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. In other words, Ananias seems to be saying, If he's blind, isn't that a good thing? You want me to go to the guy that's putting people in jail for believing in you? But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way. He bent his will to the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord and he bends his will to God's way. Ananias went his way and entered into the house putting his hands on him said brother Saul the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Look at the way the Holy Ghost is ordering things. Now along the way from the time of the vision where Jesus speaks to Ananias until he gets to where Saul is, Ananias has additional information. We don't know how he got it. Again, it has to be a revelation. It has to be a word of knowledge of some type or in some form. But we don't know if he had another vision. We don't know if the Holy Ghost said something to him. But we do know that Ananias is aware of the fact that Paul has not yet been filled with the Holy Ghost. He calls him Brother Saul, so he believes that he's saved. You wouldn't call a, a, a sinner a brother, would you? So that he knows Saul has been saved, but he also knows that Saul hadn't yet received the Holy Ghost. So he laid hands on him, and Saul received his sight, and he began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Ghost came upon him. Skip to chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in, uh, in Caesarea called Cornelius, Uh, "...a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always." So he's a man of prayer, he's a man of giving, and he has respect unto God. He's not a Jew, he's a Gentile. "...and he saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord?" And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms have come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared unto them all these things, he sent them to Joppa. Again, here's divine revelation. How's Cornelius going to know who Peter is or where he is? Now, at the same time, these things are happening. Verse 9, on the morrow, as they went on their journey, they drew nigh unto the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. It's about noontime. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, Peter knows this is the Lord speaking to him but he hadn't gotten uh, beyond that experience or that habit he had of selling Jesus, no. You remember when Jesus asked who do men say that I am? At Caesarea Philippi, the disciples answered and said, some say you're John the Baptist reincarnated, some say you're Elijah reincarnated, or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Jesus said, who do you say I am? Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. That's when he says, Upon this rock, the knowledge of who Jesus is, the fact that he is, or the knowledge of the fact that he's the Messiah. He said, I'll build my church. And then it tells us that from that point forward, he began to clearly teach them and tell them that he was going to Jerusalem He'd be taken captive, he'd be killed, and then he'd rise again the third day. And then Peter rebukes him and takes him off to the side and says, Not so, Lord, this isn't going to happen to you. You remember what Jesus said, how Jesus addressed that? He said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto God. Now, he's not saying that Peter is Satan. But just as the same way that Peter was influenced by the Holy Ghost, as Jesus said, the Father revealed this to him. Now he's being influenced by the devil saying no to what Jesus is telling him is going to happen. Apparently he's not gotten over that yet. Because Peter says no. I've never eaten anything unclean. Not about to start now. And Jesus said what God has cleansed call not thou uncommon. This was done thrice, three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. And while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Finally, the Holy Ghost just has to say, Peter, go with the people that are at the front gate. And don't question anything else. So the next day, uh, the men that are there tell about what has happened, about how Cornelius sent them to this house. And so the next day they start off back to Cornelius' house. And when Peter gets there, let's see, let's start in, uh, well, verse 24. And on the morrow after they had entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them, he had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up and said, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing For a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Notice what he has figured out overnight. Maybe not even until he gets to Cornelius' house. He may have realized this at the point where Cornelius tells him about the angel that appeared and all the things that had happened. But whenever it was, now he knows. He knows that rise, slay, and eat was not about eating food. He realizes that it's about reaching people. And God cares about everybody, no matter how they were represented in that vision where the sheet came down. So he said, you know that it's unlawful for a man that's a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came unto you without gain, saying, as soon as I was sent for. I ask, therefore, for what intent have you sent me or sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house and behold a man stood before me in bright clothing. God doesn't seem to have a problem with an angel or some kind of supernatural miraculous way of showing up. To reach people and to bring them into the kingdom. Now let me interrupt the story here for just another minute. Did God care more about those people in that day than he does about the people in our day? I know there's a lot of the modern-day church that will say that these things have been uh, done away with, that God doesn't operate this way anymore. But my question is, why? First of all, you can't ever find a place where God says about anything except the law being fulfilled by Jesus. Other than that, everything God has ever done, he always will do. The fact that the law can be fulfilled and not, it's not necessary for us to keep it like he commanded the people in the Old Testament to keep it, it's because Jesus fulfilled it. We don't have to keep the 630 commandments of Moses. We have one new commandment, and that's to walk in love. But that doesn't show any, any change in God himself. So why wouldn't he do this kind of stuff today? If, they happened, if these things happened in the book of Acts, or if they happened at any time period in the history of the church, then it had to be God's will for it to happen, didn't it? It's not going to happen contrary to his will. Well, has his will changed? I'm amazed at how the Holy Ghost orchestrated things, supernatural things, miraculous things, among people that were willing to be used, among people who who were willing to have their will bent to what God's will was. And Peter is a great example of (laughs) Of somebody that it takes a time or two before he gets it. We certainly can't look at Peter and say, oh man, what a spiritual giant Peter was. Because there are things that Peter's being told by Jesus himself to do. And he says, no, I don't think we ought to do that. I've never eaten anything unclean. We can't do that now. Doesn't sound like a spiritual giant to me. Don't get me wrong. He had a spiritual giant's impact on the church. And I'm not faulting him for not understanding and the way he operated in certain things. But remember also later on in the book of Acts, it tells us that when Jews came from uh, Jerusalem to Antioch, Peter had gone to Antioch and there were miracles and signs and wonders that were taking place in this Gentile church. Paul was there at the time that he went. And Peter was just floored by the miraculous works that God was doing among that church but then when the jews from jerusalem came down peter separated himself from the gentiles and wouldn't eat with them anymore remember paul had to call him out in public paul very very clearly and plainly said before the jews came down from jerusalem you were eating bacon with the rest of us not anymore what happened what changed One of the contrasts I see between Peter and Paul. Paul was certainly more educated in spiritual things or in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets and such than Peter was. Peter probably had a good working knowledge of it as any uneducated person would. But anything that God told Paul to do, he jumped in immediately with both feet. Peter, not so much. He got there and so he was just as pleasing to God as Paul or anybody else would have been. But it sounds to me like Peter was a little bit a better example of what normal people are like. Oftentimes we're hesitant to jump into something that's different from what we're accustomed to. And that might especially be true when we come to the, to the, the things of God, Miracle working power of God that we've never had experience with before. But now Peter's got it. So look at how the Holy Ghost is orchestrating these visions, too. Cornelius' vision, the divine revelation he has about going to get Peter and where he is and so forth. Peter's vision. And finally he figures out what it means. Isn't it interesting that the Lord didn't come out and specifically say about the vision even after the third time. Peter, I want you to realize that the, that the animals clean and unclean in the sheet, in the vision that you've seen. It's talking about people. The Gentiles are just as important to me, God speaking, this is as if God was speaking for himself, than the Jews are. Isn't it amazing some of the things God doesn't say? You remember in the Old Testament when uh, uh, Samuel the prophet went down to Jesse's house after uh, Saul, King Saul had disobeyed God several times. And God told the prophet Samuel that he was going to pick somebody after his own heart that would take Saul's place. Well Samuel knew that if King Saul found out about this his life would be in danger. Samuel's life would be in danger. So he went down to where Jesse's house was as as the Lord directed him. And he told Jesse, I'm here to anoint one of your sons to be king after Saul. So Jesse, assuming what we all probably would, he must be talking about the oldest. So he brought in the oldest, and boy, he looked like the king. He was big and strong and tall and good looking. And the Lord said, he's not the one. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, the spirit of God said. And so Samuel said, he's not the one. Do you have any more sons? Well, he had seven of them. And he paraded them all before Samuel. And each time, the Lord said, he's not the one. He's not the one. Now, wouldn't it have been a lot simpler for the Lord to tell Samuel, before he got there, go down to Jesse's house and order his youngest son, David, to be king, In Saul's place. Wouldn't that have been a lot simpler? Why didn't God do it that way? And why doesn't God oftentimes do things in that way? Because it's more important to God for us to learn to follow the inward witness, the supernatural leading of the Holy Ghost that does not come or is not identified by outward appearances or show. Finally, he gets down through all of the sons except David and says, Do you have any more? And Jesse says, well, I've got one, but he's a tender of the sheep. He's out in the field. Samuel says, bring him in. So they wait for him to come in from taking care of the sheep. He comes in the door, and the Lord said, that's the one. And Jesse anoints him to be king. Now, folks, God hadn't changed from the time of that event to today. He hasn't changed in his desire for us to learn to be led by the Spirit of God and follow the inward witness. He hasn't changed from his patterns of revealing a little bit of information along the way. The further we go with him, the more we walk with him, the more he reveals. I know that's not the way we want it. We want to see the whole thing like it's a movie so we can identify what's going to happen at the end before we ever get there. But that'd be walking by sight, not walking by faith. So here's the Holy Ghost orchestrating things. Now we might look at some of these things, and this is a pivotal event. I mean, this is this is big time. As a matter of fact, I want to keep reading some of it. I don't want to read the whole uh, preaching, the whole sermon of uh, of Peter, but I really probably should. Let me start in verse thirty-three. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel preached peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word I say you know which was published throughout all Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but under witnesses chosen before of God, even to us. Who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through the name, his name, whatsoever believe whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. You remember in John chapter twenty, when Jesus appeared to the disciples and breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Ghost? He said, whosoever sins you remit are remitted unto them, whosoever sins you retain are retained. Peter's explaining what that means. Remission of sins belongs to whosoever believes in Jesus. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because on the Gentiles also was poured out the the gift of the Holy Ghost, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Folks, this is the first official missions trip to the Gentiles from the church in Jerusalem. Philip went down to Samaria in Acts chapter 8 and preached Christ unto them. But it's almost as if he went on his own because when Peter and John and the other apostles at Jerusalem heard, they came down to minister the Holy Ghost. But this is the first official visit from the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 10 is about 10 years after Acts chapter 2. So basically, for the first 10 years of the church, they haven't been going into all the world. They've been going into all Judea. So when this takes place, the first sanctioned mission to the Gentiles, they receive salvation and receive the Holy Ghost in a miraculous way. He just falls on all of them orchestrated by the Holy Ghost. Peter goes back, the next chapter talks about Peter going back to Jerusalem. And even after hearing what was done, the leaders in Jerusalem, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, call him on the carpet. Just as Peter said, it's not lawful for a Jew to go into the house of a Gentile, which he did when he went to Cornelius' house. So they try to call him on the carpet about this. What are you doing, Peter? Peter says, they got the same Holy Ghost as us. They believe in Jesus just like us. This was huge. This was a pivotal point in changing the mindset of the early church. As to what God would do, wanted to do, and had already done. It showed them in, first, in the first formal manner that the blood of Jesus was for the whole world. I just marvel at how the Holy Ghost orchestrates things. I just marvel at how the Holy Ghost guides us individually and as a church body into the truth of God's will. Uh, truth of God's will. There was a, a story I heard uh, some years ago about a a man that was a missionary in Africa. He and his family were missionaries in Africa. And his eyes were really weak. I don't know what he knew about faith. He wasn't of what we would call faith people or faith groups, if there be any such thing. And some way or another, out in the, the missionary work that he did, he broke his glasses, and he was... Severely handicapped by not having his glasses, not being able to see. They were in such a position that they couldn't call back to the states. This was many years ago before lines of communication were what they are now. And so when he broke his glasses and and found that they were beyond repair, he just cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Am I going to have to leave the missions work that you've had us establish For so many years, the good things that are taking place. Are we going to have to go back home now and lose all of this that we've done? Their finances were such that not only would it cost a fortune to get back from the field, they might not have the funds to return. So it was a critical situation for him. But the next day, a container arrived from one of the churches that were supporters of theirs back here in the States. And they went through all the the stuff in the container. There were many things, comfort things, that the people from uh, uh, the church had sent to them. But you know what he found in there? He found in one of the boxes. And in these boxes, people were writing notes to them. He knew who it was that was sending things to them. And this particular box was uh, identified by the letter that was in it as to who it was. And he took all the things out of the box, and these things were such a great blessing. And they're looking at it. It was like Christmas for them, you know. And at the bottom of one of these boxes, there was a, set of eye, a pair of eyeglasses. He knew who they, whose they were because of the, the note, the letter that was in the box, contained in the box. And this shipment, this container, had been prepared six months beforehand. Six months beforehand. It took a long time in those days for the thing to even get there. And so six months before, this person that was, had something to do with this box lost his glasses. He didn't put it there because God told him to. He just found that his glasses were missing. He had nowhere to know, no way to know where they were. He didn't think about checking the the, uh, container. It was already packed and sent anyway. So six months before this guy, this missionary would need glasses, he had a guy, another guy in another part of the, the world, who had the same prescription as him, happened to misplace his glasses and ship them off in a box that he never intended for them to go in. I want to read a final scripture to you from Isaiah chapter 65. Verse 24, Isaiah 65, verse 24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Folks, that's the way God works. He works to get us in a position for our needs to be met before we ever know about a need that we might have. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. He bends his will to God's. I believe that we ought to believe for the Holy Ghost to do things like this in our day. I believe we should believe, actively believe for visions and dreams and appearances of angels. Not because we want something just to tickle our fancy. Not because we need some kind of physical evidence to believe. But because the Holy Ghost is set in the church to bring revelation to us. To operate in power. To bring us utterance. And God wants to do the same thing in our day. As he wanted to do in the book of Acts. And the reason the book of Acts is given to us. And saved for us. Is so that we would know what he wants to do. We would know the ways that he does things. We would know what's available to us. Again I think it's a marvelous sign that pentecost is the feast of harvest therefore the work of the holy ghost the one who is given to the church the one who's in you and me operates to bring forth that harvest let's pray father thank you for the holy ghost thank you that you never change Your will never changes. And the Holy Ghost does the same things today as he did in the book of Acts. In fact, we're living our part of the book of Acts today. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for guiding us into all reality. Guide us into the reality of the supernatural. Guide us into the reality of God's goodness and his willingness to reveal himself and to extend his hand in power to bring people into the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, we seek for you to operate in visions and dreams, not according to our will, but according to yours. Exalt the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, by manifesting your presence and displaying your power and appearing unto men that all may know that you are alive. That all may know that Jesus is the risen Savior. That all may know your power carry or your name carries power just like it did in the book of Acts. We ask you these things, believing, knowing that it's your will to do exactly as we've asked. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Say it with me. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with